This series gives you a direct line to the pinnacle traders. We're covering everything from when the odds are initially posted to looking at how the market might react. This is the opening line. The opening line is back for our week 8 preview. Not long to go until the games get underway, so it's time for a healthy dose of NFL betting insight. Who better than Adam Chernoff to talk us through the games for week 8 of the NFL? Hello Adam. Morning Ben, let's roll on to week 8. Let's do it one game down, but we can get straight into the games we're covering in the pod, so we'll move on. New York Giants at the Detroit Lions. It seems like the traders have got this one spot on with the openers. We're on the Lions minus 7 and the over under 50. It has just gone up a point after opening on 49 on Sunday night. Two teams going the wrong way here, really. They're they're both on a three-game losing run. Any confidence they had will now have hit rock bottom. The market thinks Detroit is the better of the two, and with home field advantage, it should be relatively comfortable. Do you think this is a fair mark? Well, I think we see two teams going in very different directions. The Giants have failed to cover in their previous three games. Um, Pat Sherman was even asked at a press conference if he would consider switching Daniel Jones out for Eli Manning again. And he quickly shot down those rumors. But since the start of the Daniel Jones era here in New York, uh, it started off very promising. And since then, it's took a really hard left turn. And so not only are betters disappointed, but clearly now fans very disappointed as well. But when we're looking at these last three games specifically, where there's some questions about the New York Giants, you have to look about how much of this is really fueled by box score reaction. Against the Minnesota Vikings, which is the best rush defense in the league, as well as the best rush offense, the Giants were without all three of their starting linebackers. So it's very difficult to stop Dalvin Cook when you don't have any linebackers in the game. Against New England, the best defense in the NFL, the Giants were without two of their top running backs and three wide receivers. And then last week against Arizona, the full team was finally healthy for the first time. The Giants outgained in yardage, more first downs, and played Arizona, held them to 89 passing yards defensively, ended up losing the game by six, despite all of that. So really, you kind of have to parse out two of these results. And then last week was just a really questionable result all around. And now the Giants get back everyone healthy for the first time all season, get a first full week of practice with Daniel Jones and all his weapons. So I think not only is this going to be potentially uh, the best offensive performance we've seen from the Giants all season, but I think it has the potential to be their best all-around performance for the entire season as well. There's some turmoil within the Lions locker room. They traded away while they're starting cornerback Quandre Diggs, and players instantly reacted. There was a lot of big names from that defense, very unhappy with management for making the trade. Darius Slay, still less than 100%, questionable with a hamstring injury. The Lions overall is a defense ranked 28th in passing success rate and 27th in rushing success rate for the last three weeks of the season. So the Giants are going to have opportunities to move the football. You look at this Lions team, they've outgained their opponents from a yards per play perspective just once this entire season, and that was way back in week one. Giants getting seven points in this one. Feels awfully large for the Lions to uh, end up having to try to cover that. You referenced there kind of the performance against the spread. So I'd be interested to know when you're, you're handicapping these games, how much are you kind of looking into performance data and stuff from the field against how, how teams perform against the, the market's perception in the betting market? 
I'm not a trans guy at all, but what I will look at in terms of these past ATS data and, and past ATS rankings is specifically sort of a couple of games in a row where the betting market was in line with one side and potentially didn't get the result. I think we'll talk about one of those a little bit later with Denver, but like I'm saying in the case with the Giants, bettors have now been disappointed three weeks in a row, and the Giants have played in games where they've seen the price go their way. Uh, they've played in a primetime game as well. So when you're looking at um, sort of an accumulation of these losses against the spread, it's not necessarily an indication of future performance, but it is an indication of how a certain segment within the market is going to look at betting this game this week. And so when we're looking at a big number, you also have to sort of factor in how much this might be inflated up because of those past losses in the last three weeks. So our next game is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Tennessee Titans, and it's another game that's looked pretty stable in the market. Tennessee's still on the minus two and a half that they opened at, um, and half a point's come off the over-under with the total now set at 45 and a half. So the Buccaneers have had a couple of good results against the likes of the Panthers and the Rams, but it's been a bit mixed and there's been some really poor performances thrown in 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 there as well they're coming off a bye week so we obviously have to throw that into the mix and then we've got Tannehill now in for the Titans he got the job done against the Chargers we obviously shouldn't read too much into that but it does change things up in terms of how we maybe view the Tennessee offense but how do you think we're going to see this game play out So this was a game that I've at least been waiting on for much of the week to get to minus three. I'm really surprised it hasn't got there. And we sort of touched on that as Monday is potentially a game that the traders thought could go up. Uh, I'm not really buying into Tampa Bay in this spot. I think that that's sort of naturally the side a lot of people are going to go and look at. I was actually quite impressed with what Ryan Tannehill did in his first start. Uh, Accuracy down the field was a significant upgrade. From Ryan Tannehill, he wasn't concerned about throwing the ball into tighter windows. Um, Upgrade from Marcus Mariota, pardon me. Uh, Tannehill was not afraid to throw the ball into tight windows, uh, was making really good reads with his receivers downfield. And I mean, we weren't looking at enormous numbers against the Chargers defense, but you look at this Tampa Bay secondary, um, pretty significant step down from what they faced Um, for a lot of the season against the more difficult schedule, but then also against the Chargers. So I think there's certainly going to be opportunity to move the football through the air, and they may be forced to do so with Derrick Henry having to run into the number one overall rush defense of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So we're going to have to see how this game plan switches up. Offensive coordinator Arthur Smith has been someone who I've really looked at uh, sort of opposing for much of the season or staying away from. Um, my only concern here, a bit of a distraction potentially with him having to leave the team midweek to have a child with his wife. Um, so maybe that goes into a bit of the lack of any game planning potentially. So it leaves me with a little bit of concern. But I think we saw a bit of an unraveling from Jameis Winston in London against the Carolina Panthers against the defense that generates some pressure, the Panthers do. But they were able to live in the backfield and really give him trouble. I think the Titans very much can do the same, but where I do sort of like this matchup for Tennessee against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, specifically from just getting guys inside of the box, the front seven, as good as Tampa Bay has been, Tennessee has not ranked far behind at third in defensive run success rate. So I think the Titans potentially uh, can force Tampa Bay to put the ball into Winston's hand, which in this specific spot, not necessarily something that, that I would be too excited back in Tennessee about. We're seeing this total 46.5 now down to 45.5. And, 
think it's indicative of how the Buccaneers potentially have trouble moving the football and the Tennessee Titans don't really have their run game with them. So maybe some offensive struggles early, but this number from the side perspective at two and a half just feels a little bit short. Yeah, you're right. We did kind of say that on the Monday podcast that we were waiting for that minus three to come in. So if you're using this as an example, if you're in that position and you're you're ready to bet a certain number, how are you keeping tabs on the market? Are you kind of checking in? Like every now and again, is it? Have you got kind of alerts set up? If someone out there is thinking, right, I want to bet the Titans at minus three, how do they go about that and make sure they get that best number? Well, if you if you want to beat the minus three, you can widely available do it right now. Um, I what I do personally, like I'll have a price for each game within the handicap that I come up with. Like right now is Friday morning. I have these numbers available. For week nine, for instance, we're just talking about week eight, but like I already have my positions sort of identified. But if you're looking for something to use for like alerts or to find the best possible prices, highly recommend using an odd screen, whether you pay for it, whether it's free. Um, you can see multiple bookmakers. Don't just look at one. If you play at Pinnacle, don't just look at Pinnacle. Look at how the market around it shaping up. And this is a game that at a number of different bookmakers has really been leaning towards Tennessee two and a half where at a number that is sort of the bookmakers that cater to a bit more of a recreational clientele, they're sitting at a two and a half flat. So usually when you see a bit of a divide within the market, it tends to be a bit of a signal that the price is going to move up or in that direction of the divide. But this has just been stuck beneath the three and understandably three being the most important number uh, in NFL betting worth about nine and a half percent in terms of probability. So it's obviously a big move to go from two and a half to three. But just based on how far this has been shaded towards the Titans for the entire week, it's just surprising to see we haven't seen a three yet on the board. Yeah, apologies there. Obviously, if you want the Titans at minus three, go get the minus two. But the Bucks plus three was what I was getting at. So LA Chargers at the Chicago Bears and not a lot of faith on the Bears in this one. They started out at minus five. They're now down to minus four. And that's in the over-under tick up a point from 40 to 41. So clearly the Bears have really struggled on offense. They're around the bottom three on almost every metric. But I guess the hope will be that Trubisky can can help bump that up now that he's back from injury. The Chargers, meanwhile, have been pretty average and they're struggling in the AFC West and they're on a three-game losing run. So... On paper, it doesn't look like it's going to make a great spectacle, but what do you think of this matchup? So here's a case like we were talking about earlier where you want to sort of look at a bit of past performance to judge current perception. And to put this game and sort of frame it into perspective, the look-ahead price on this game at Las Vegas Casinos last Tuesday was Chicago minus 6.5. And And we're seeing this one down all the way to 3.5. And And it's another case where... The number is really leaning towards this game getting to a flat three. I don't know if we'll get there, but that's the way it's leaning. So a significant movement where we're talking about 12 to 13% of probability being crossed within this move. You look at the Chargers, they embarrassed themselves on the last drive of the game, but also a number of times before that. I think a lot of the focus will be on that last drive. Uh, but they embarrassed themselves on the road at Tennessee, Chicago obviously embarrassed themselves at home to the New Orleans Saints, but just because of a lot of what we've seen from Trubisky and just a mountain of hate and negative comments, um, not not only through the national media, but you get down to the social media and sort of the, the Chicago sports media markets, and they're absolutely killing the guy 
um, all over Nagy for his play calling too. And we've seen almost, like I said, a three-point adjustment despite both of these teams coming off of a loss. And what's really getting clouded in all of this is the Chargers now for eight consecutive weeks have put a starting player from their roster on the injured reserve. And you look at the injury report this week, one of the medical staffs in the NFL that's really notorious for having a ton of problems. You're looking at 12 different players this week on the injury report, including names like Keenan Allen, which is a key part to the offense. But then we're also looking at three defensive linemen, three different linebackers, a safety, a cornerback. These This team's absolutely loaded with injuries. And Chicago's a team that bookmakers and the market as a whole has held to a much higher standard than what has shown um, necessarily on the field. I, I think people put Chicago near the bottom of the league for a lot of these numbers. Uh, it's just not something that I necessarily agree with. Have them ranked a little bit higher. Haven't changed really their true power number for much of the season. It's come down a little bit, but I just, within my range, I have this team playing to one of the lowest levels within their range of any team in the NFL, which to me signals that there's nothing but future upside or potential to play better. I think Matt Nagy within the press conferences didn't necessarily like how he sort of owned up to a lot of the issues going on within the team, but you can't have Mitchell Trubisky throwing the ball 50 plus times uh, again in this game. You have to find balance with the run. Uh, I I know that a lot of people listening that are big into numbers and analytics are going to say that that's the wrong way to do it, but you can't have your running backs run the ball six times in a game against the New Orleans Saints at home and leave your quarterback in the pocket to die against the defensive line. I mean, they were in the backfield with pressure, causing him issues for the entire game, was pressured more than 50% of his dropbacks. You're not going to win NFL games doing that, especially with Mitchell Trubisky especially with the shoulder injury. They've got some capable guys in the backfield. If Matt Nagy can just put forth a a better game plan overall and just show some of the creativity we know he has, this three and a half come Sunday could look awfully short. Right, so next up we've got the New York Jets at the Jacksonville Jaguars. And obviously we didn't have lines up for this one before the Monday Night Football. And you did suggest that it might be a better play to, to wait on that game. And I think anyone that took the Jets in this before that is going to be full of regret now. I mean... In terms of where we're at now, Jacksonville minus six and the over-under is on 40 and a half and it's still trending downwards. I just alluded to it there, but the Jets were blown away by the Patriots. A little bit of hope after their first win of the season, but it seems like they're now back to square one. I guess the the run defense does still look like they're only saving grace. We talked about how important Fournette would be for the Jaguars last week and he helped them to a comfortable win over the Bengals. These two teams, they don't have much to shout about, but... The run defense, the Jets versus the Jaguars' reliance on Fournette, I guess it could lead to a good game. Do you think the market is a fair reflection of these two teams? I think you just handicapped the game the boat as well as I can. Um, not a game I'm going to be involved with, but l- like you mentioned, Jaguars, a lot of dependency on Fournette. The yards tell one story, but also the carries tell another. Um, getting a ton of touches. And this Jets defense, I think what will go unnoticed from Monday Night Football is that they were able to hold the Patriots below 4.5 yards per play despite losing 33 to nothing. Usually when you're putting up 4.5 yards as a play, you're only winning about 10% of games in the NFL, uh, slightly less than that number actually. So uh, to see a team win 33 to nothing with that sort of output offensively, very unusual to see, but a lot of the talk, again, 
going to go to Sam Darnold and the struggles and, and Adam Gaze handling the press conference in a way that only Adam Gaze could, um, really deflecting and, and just putting forth some really strange answers. So you wonder what's going on within this Jets locker room on the offensive side of the football. But if the Jags really become reliant on Leonard Fournette again, I don't think they're going to find success against this Jets defense, which now really for the first time, we're going to see a full week of practice with all of the important guys at each level of the defense, defensive line, linebacker, secondary, all in. Um, This is going to be likely their best defensive game planning or best opportunity to put forth a defensive game plan with everyone back really for the first time since week one, um, which is arguably their best performance of the season so far to date. So um, really don't like how Jacksonville matches up against the Jets, but this is not a spot where I'm looking to run and put Jets plus six and a half in my pocket. And when it comes to kind of reacting to to the one-off game, I mean, we'll talk about the Patriots a little bit later because we've seen a big reaction there. But if if someone's kind of made a case to to bet on the Jets at one number before they see that performance, and obviously it was a blowout, but is it a simple case of kind of, oh, it's a one-game thing, it shouldn't read too much into it, I can go back in at a higher number? Or do you need to kind of take stock again and, and readdress and look at look at what's gone on? If it's something like that and it's just sort of a pure reaction, I think you know why that's really occurring. If it comes down to something like, injuries or we're really presented with some new information which is really what these markets are are telling you is there's new information available and the price is reacting to that so if it comes down to like injuries or something really substantial happened that gives you really concern then you probably have to go and reassess but a lot of these movements from the week prior to the current game week uh, purely reactionary to what we saw in the last game Right, so we'll move on to the Philadelphia Eagles at the Buffalo Bills. And Buffalo have been moving on the handicap here from minus one to minus two and a half. The over-under is currently on 43 and a half with the market seemingly keen on the under. So the Eagles got beat up pretty bad by the Cowboys. And the only blemish on the Bills record is that week four loss to the Patriots. We're not on the three yet. And if anything, it looks like the market could move back on Philadelphia. But what are you thinking for this one? Really a game I'm not looking to be involved with either way. I think the price is set quite well. As you mentioned, if anything, maybe it's just a tad high for Buffalo, knowing that there can be support for the Philadelphia Eagles potentially coming in over the weekend. Uh, we might see this one come down a little bit and sort of trend towards a pick um, But it, it, I think Buffalo becoming a bit overpriced in their own regard. Um, not necessarily a team that's putting up fantastic numbers in terms of success rate either side of the football they've got a glaring weakness moving the football through the air offensively they've got a glaring weakness stopping the rush defensively and where that secondary really stood through this was the secondary that got as high as third in passing success rate but if we're looking at the last four weeks specifically so the basically half the season trending at 18th in the nfl so this is really a team that's priced a lot higher than their on-field performance indicates. But then you're looking at a very similar situation with the Philadelphia Eagles, who, in my opinion, next to the Chicago Bears, the most underperforming team in the NFL at the moment. And if it came down to that game on Sunday night where if the Eagles win that game, they're the most underperforming team in the NFL, leading their division in that right. So within my rankings, I see enormous upside for the Philadelphia Eagles. But I don't know if this is necessarily the case where we fully see this team turn around. 
I love the fact that how they handled their press conferences, how they owned up to the loss, a lot of the emotion that players showed in their press conferences. I think that's a very positive sign and just shows the makeup of this team. But I can't help wondering if there's something going on behind the scenes with Deshaun Jackson. This was a player who we all expected within the NFL betting community to be back sort of week four, week five at the latest. We're now getting into week eight, and he's not even taking reps with the practice team on the field. And a lot of us really led to believe that he was going to play last Sunday, quickly ruled out Friday morning before really having a chance of being able to tough it out through the weekend. Um, there's something going on with that injury situation. And considering how big of a difference he makes, you can't help but wonder if this Philadelphia Eagles offense in their third road game in a row has a bit of trouble moving the football initially against the Buffalo Bills, who do defend two tight end sets quite well. So it's a bit of a sticky offensive matchup for the Eagles, not necessarily as clear cut as what we saw last week that was really derailed by a horrific game plan. Um, so if the Eagles have a bit of difficulty moving the football, passing it, uh, the Bills can keep this game quite competitive. I think from a total perspective, this is right on, and from the side perspective as well. So now it's the Cincinnati Bengals against the LA Rams, and, well, either the market is avoiding the London game or the trades have just done such a great job in pricing it up that no one can take anything because Pinnacle opened up at the Rams minus 13 and a 48-point over-under. At the time we're recording, we're on the Rams minus 13 and a 48-point over-under. So it's a really poor Bengals team against the Rams team that hasn't really lived up to expectation this season. We've got the fact that it's played on the grass at Wembley to consider. I'm not too far away from there, and we've had plenty of rain over the last few days. I think there's more forecasts for over the weekend, so something else to throw in the mix again. Is this a stay away from you, or is there potential to take on the numbers here? It's an enormous stay away for me. And I think you mentioned that the traders nailed this. Uh, really good point about the weather. When I first saw this forecast early in the week, um, back on Sunday evening, it, it was showing rain the entire week, um, really leading up to Saturday. There was also a ton of wind too, which is the big factor you want to look for when handicapping the NFL. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like all of that likely to clear up Sunday morning. So we're not going to see an ugly game on the turf getting chewed up at Wembley with some rain and some wind. Um, we're just going to see probably the biggest coaching mismatch of any NFL game thus far to date. Sean McVay versus Zach Taylor. Taylor in press conferences this week continuously questioned about potentially giving up play calling duties, um, passing those on to somebody else within the team. It's clear that he's a bit overwhelmed. It's also clear that he has guys on the sideline, A.J. Green, um, that don't want to return to play for this team. A.J. Green says he's not returning until after the trade deadline. I think that's a signal that obviously he wants out of this organization and it's not nearly going as well as anyone had anticipated. Now they have to go over to London for the first time with this coaching staff, put together a game plan to, to go against the L.A. Rams who stayed on the East Coast. Um, after the game against Atlanta, practiced at Georgia Tech, flew out midweek, um, got there yesterday. Uh, this is an L.A. Rams team and a coaching staff that has done this before. They know the routine, and they're getting the Cincinnati Bengals coming in. Uh, this game is going to be really won and lost up front. We saw the Rams defensive line really come through with their best performance against a weak Atlanta offensive line. The Cincinnati offensive line grades out worse than the Atlanta Falcons in almost every single key metric pass block win rate, overall pass block grade. 
Um, so that's going to be quite problematic going up against this Rams um, defensive front. Uh, at 13 on a neutral, not necessarily something I'm running to back um, with too much eagerness. We have seen this game really stay put with the number that opened. Uh, I think it's a good price. Uh, really indicates if this was back in L.A., we're looking at about a 17-point spread, which is fair given where I have these two teams rated. Uh, 47 and a half potentially we'll see with the total. Maybe some under money, but it's just a good stay-away game overall. Right, we'll move on to the Arizona Cardinals at the New Orleans Saints then. So the market's obviously big on the Saints in this one. They're currently minus 10 and a half, and it seems like people want to see some points as well with the over-under at 47 and a half, but it looks like it could go back up. There's been a lot of talk about the Saints recently, especially with opinions on how good they'll be once Drew Brees return, returns. But as we said on the pod earlier in the week, that's, I mean, it's still up for debate. And the Cardinals, they started very poorly. And as you said before, it seems like Cliff Kingsbury is turning things around. Kyler Murray maybe adapting to the league. If we're going by the odds, it's very difficult to make a case for the Cardinals. But do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with it completely. And it seems like the decision is going to be up to him on whether or not he ultimately plays on Sunday. I find it interesting that the Saints aren't holding him back considering the point spread in this game, which is 10, and the fact that they have a bye next week. Um, so it's a free week off for Drew Brees next week. I don't know why he necessarily needs to rush back to face the Arizona Cardinals. I think Teddy Bridgewater can probably handle this team just fine. Um, where this gets a bit difficult for the Arizona Cardinals is despite some success in the last three weeks, we've really seen a lot of their offense driven by the running game, which is sort of a secondary effect of the air raid offense. When you hear that name, you think of passing downfield, explosive plays, but really it's designed to create easy throws for the quarterback. But because everything's so spread out, it offers opportunities to find success in the running game. And it, whether it's Edwards or Johnson, uh, the Cardinals have been able to move the football on the ground consistently to sustain drives and sustain offenses. But when we're looking at this matchup against the New Orleans Saints, that becomes their most difficult challenge of the entire season. This defense makes very high in rushing defense success rate, uh, but they're also very disciplined. There's a lot of continuity between them, and they're able to maintain their gap integrity, which is just controlling their running lanes for those who may have not heard that term before. Um, but they're just a really disciplined defense that's not going to give up these easy, soft runs underneath. And they can do it while still defending receivers out wide in the spread concept. So it's a very difficult de defense for Arizona to match up with. Uh, but you consider who they've had success with in the last three weeks. They've played the Atlanta Falcons, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the New York Giants, who are all bottom six in terms of defensive success rate. Um, so obviously a much more difficult opponent here with the Saints who are a top 10 team in that regard. Um, as big as this number is, uh, I'm again, the Saints are clearly priced to an extreme after putting together cover after cover the last five weeks with Teddy Bridgewater. Um, it's just not a number that I'm willing to lay at the extreme within this price point. But I do think that the Arizona Cardinals uh, struggle a bit more than we've seen in the last three weeks. So now it's the Oakland Raiders at the Houston Texans. The Raiders were plus seven when we opened this one on Sunday, but as expected, they dropped through to plus six and a half. They've now gone back to the seven. The over-under has gone up a point to, from 50 and a half to 51 and a half, and it seems pretty set now. So the Texans have got to be one of the most up-and-down teams in the league this season. They followed up what was a big win against the Chiefs with a really poor showing against the Colts. 
They've now put themselves under pressure to get the win. The Raiders just, I mean, they haven't really got their season going. And similarly to the Texans, you could probably just put that down to some inconsistency. So it's a game that both teams are going to be desperate to win. The Texans are favourites, but do they do they deserve to be so heavily favoured, do you think? I think so. But I think that potentially over a much better look here, uh, one we sort of alluded to on the Monday podcast, but really it's come together nicely. I still think that this total at 51 and a half, a little bit short. And the Oakland offense is a unit that's really getting, they're they're not getting noticed, but they're sort of getting a lack of respect just for the scheme that they run. It's a very quick passing, short route type of offense that doesn't draw necessarily a lot of flash. But we look at this team overall second for the season in passing success rate, 11th running the football and against three top seven opponents in defensive efficiency. The Raiders have scored at least 24 points in each game. Josh Jacobs, the highest graded running back in the league. And Darren Waller is the fourth highest graded tight end. And when you put those two things together, it shows a little bit of balance. Hence the reason for success against a very good schedule of opponents to really validate those numbers. This offensive line, some enormous pieces on that offensive line. These are big physical players up front. Derek Carr, because of how quick he's getting the ball out, but because of the blocking in front of him, he's being pressured on just 25% of his dropbacks, which is the third lowest rank in the NFL. So an offensive attack that in recent years has been able to really get beat up because any defense that can put pressure can have success. It just isn't the case this year. And this Raiders offense is moving the football on some very good defensive teams. And while it's still a little bit limited in terms of the depth that Carr generates with his throw, uh, because he gets the ball out so fast, when we match it up schematically against this Houston Texans defense, under Romeo Cornell, they play one of the highest rates of zone defense. But one thing they do a lot is concede throws underneath, which is exactly where Oakland wants to live. So I think there's a ton of opportunity for the Raiders to have sustained success moving the football, both passing and throwing. Jacobs hit the injury report on Wednesday, causing this total to come down a bit. But he says, unless um, I have a broken bone, I'm going to play. And he does not have a broken bone. So if that's any indication, the highest graded running back in the league is going to be on the field for the Raiders to give them that secondary option. And then we look at Houston. I mean, they're going to have no issues moving this football, whatever they want to do is going to be open against the Oakland Raiders. This is a Texans team that's third in passing success rate, second in rushing success rate, top 10 in explosive defense, both passing and rushing the football. Uh, Oakland, they generate the lowest amount of pass rush pressure in the NFL. When Watson has a clean pocket, he's first in completion rate, second in adjusted completion percentage, averages an enormous 9.0 yards per pass, 113 passer rating, and Oakland, in a bizarre move, gets rid of Gary on Conley, who was their highest grade of defensive back on the roster, ship him to Houston, who they're playing this week. Um, I'm not going to read into any intel he brings over. I don't buy into that. But what I do buy into is Watson from a clean pocket now getting to take advantage of a secondary made up of Daryl Worley, LaMarcus Joyner, and six backups that have combined for 62 coverage snaps at corner, along with Eric Harris and Carl Joseph at safety. 
this has instantly become it was it was about the second or third worst secondary before that Conley trade. There's no doubt now whether you're looking from a numbers perspective or a grading perspective, uh, this is the worst secondary in the NFL, and it's not close. So you have a quarterback that's lethal from a clean pocket against a secondary who gets rid of their best player, um, weakest in the league now, and they can't generate pass rush. Uh, this one's going to set up for plenty of points on Sunday. So if we talk about actually betting the game, I guess, if you like this one, for an example, if you if you have a number that you like, um, the lines are posted, you take the over. When it comes to your bankroll or your stake allocation, do you kind of hold some back because maybe that number might drop? Do you rebet if it goes up, if you still like it later in the week? How do you approach it? Uh, if I can get better than my projected number, I'm going to stake accordingly and I'm going to be pretty happy with that. And I have this game really priced out to 54. And if we get the ideal game state, um, which is the Houston Texans playing with the lead, which causes the Oakland Raiders to throw the football at a significantly higher percentage, then I have this within the range playing up to a total of 56. So as long as I'm getting better than my projection, I'm going to stake accordingly and be quite happy with that. In terms of looking to rebet as lines move, um, not necessarily something I do too often unless it sets up a favorable, favorable position to act off of my initial wager. Uh, but in this game, in a market that I see continuing to go up, uh, I'm just happy to sort of take the lowest price that I was able to get early in the week. Um, biggest advantage for me of the week so far. So uh, I staked accordingly and I'm happy to hold that ticket through Sunday. And then one of the things we haven't really touched upon is the other markets available. So if you're watching this game and it comes down to kind of quarter lines or halves, do you then get involved in those markets once the game's underway? Very rarely. And I don't necessarily think that the same handicap pregame holds through um, once we're getting into like second halves and such because there's a lot of new information that becomes available um, with a number of games going on. I mean, there's the potential for something to set up where uh, the price is in play or at half times become reasonable for me to take a wager on. But this isn't necessarily a case where I'm betting the over pregame and then regardless of what comes up during the game, I'm going to continuously be betting the over. Um, there's a lot of new stuff that needs to be accounted for. Uh, a lot of stuff we see within the game that needs to be accounted for that um, I do my best of keeping up with. But oftentimes, uh, I, I tend to sort of avoid trying to add on to something to take away from the original advantage that I have. So now we're on to the Carolina Panthers at the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers opened up at minus six here, but by the time we spoke on Sunday night, they were already down to minus five and a half. The over-under was trending towards the over initially. It's now leaning towards the under, but it's still on the 42 points that it opened at. So I know this is one where you liked the look of the Panthers earlier in the week, and I guess there's going to be other people out there that can perhaps make a case for the 49ers. So... How is this game going to be won by either side? And from your perspective, how do the Panthers go about covering the spread? Well, we talked about a couple teams that were underpriced and playing to the bottom of the range in the Chicago Bears and the Philadelphia Eagles. There's no question the San Francisco 49ers playing to the top of their price point. And I think the easiest way to illustrate this without really publicly posting my ratings is to say, look at the look-ahead numbers for next week. We saw the prices come out. The New Orleans Saints about seven points better, according to a casino in Las Vegas, a prominent bookmaker, uh, than the Arizona Cardinals. We looked at Thursday night football, 
that same bookmaker has the San Francisco 49ers ranked a full 10 points better than the Arizona Cardinals, according to their prices. And while there's a couple things here and there that go into that matchup specifics, um, when you were talking about the landscape of the NFC as a whole, I think the conversation really starts with the San Francisco 49ers and the New Orleans Saints. And there's a lot of sort of equality within that discussion. I don't see many people saying that the 49ers are a full field goal better than the New Orleans Saints. So to see that sort of argument given a different perspective from one of the more prominent bookmakers in Las Vegas, um, awfully interesting in terms of how you frame your thought process about this San Francisco 49ers team as a whole. You look at what they've done so far this season, it's been great, but this defense, the success that they've had has come against the third easiest opposing schedule of passing offenses. Their most difficult challenge was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who ranked 15th in week one. And since Kyle Allen took over the Panthers in week number three, Carolina at ninth in passing success rate. So this is going to be the most difficult challenge for the 49ers this entire season from a numbers perspective. You also have to wonder how they get on defending the rush. Christian McCaffrey, we've seen him struggle twice this season against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. One was on very short rest in Thursday night football. The other one was on limited rest, having to fly over to London to play that game on a neutral field. Now he's coming off of the bye. The last time he came off of an extended rest this season, uh, he put up enormous numbers against the Rams. And the 49ers as a whole, the one spot where they've been a little bit vulnerable this season, they're 14th in rushing success rate defense. And again, that comes against a very easy schedule of opposing offenses. And I think for me, the big question is Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, through seven games, really his contribution has been minimal. He hasn't been asked to do much, nor has he been forced to make any real big throws. I have real questions about his performance under pressure. And the Panthers have a top six pass rush and their secondary, um, certainly the strength of this defense early on in the season, tapered off a little bit. Uh, but they can play some coverages to give Jimmy G some trouble if they can generate some pressure. I think we're going to see the quarterback that everyone's giving a lot of praise really struggle on public display for the first time this entire season. So makes a lot of sense that this price came off of the six. And I think it's one we'll probably see hold at less than that number for the rest of the week. Right, so our next game is the Denver Broncos against the Indianapolis Colts. Some minor, minor movement here with half a point coming off both the handicap and the total. The Colts are now minus six and the over-under is on 43. We've got Jacoby Brissett seems to be proving some of those early season doubters wrong as the, the Colts have got a few decent wins of late. He's now coming up against a pretty good defense with the Broncos, so it's another challenge for him. We had a lot of big talk about the Broncos last week. They barely even turned up against the Chiefs. Do you think there are many out there that are going to keep faith with the Broncos? And more importantly, I guess, do you think there's any reason to keep faith with them for this game? I think there's a ton of reasons to keep faith with the Broncos this game, this game and potentially in the future. Like you mentioned, it, they looked like a dead team on Thursday night football against the Kansas City Chiefs. After that first drive touchdown, uh, they absolutely folded. And it was interesting to see that occur. But keeping the focus on this handicap specifically... Looking at a price point, Indianapolis minus six. And if we look back at the Colts season overall, it may not seem like a big number, right? The Colts are the smart team, uh, heaviest analytics staff employed in the NFL. They've got a fantastic coach. They've got a brilliant offensive line. They've got a strong defensive line. Like this is a team that a lot of betters within the market want to just side with 
through association, knowing that this team puts together smart performance after smart performance. And we've seen that the last couple of weeks, right? They put together a very specific game plan to take advantage of the Kansas City Chiefs defense uh, stopping the rush. And they end up doing something really unique defensively within their man coverage. And they get the win on Sunday Night Football last week against the Houston Texans, who everyone has ranked extremely high for offense, rightfully so, as we just talked about. Colts end up getting a very comfortable win at home. Uh, But we're looking at them as a six-point favorite now. They've won four games this year by a combined 18 points. And so when we're looking at six games this season overall, five of which the Colts have covered, the biggest point spread that they've covered was last week at Houston, where they were a one-point favorite. The other four covers were all as underdogs. So this becomes a very different situation for the Colts from a market perspective that we haven't really seen come together this season. And I think a lot of the doubt within this number comes when we sort of look back through the data and parse out some of the performances for injuries. The Colts ranked 20th in passing success rate defense and 23rd in rushing success rate defense. And if we look at the explosive plays that they give up, 19th against the pass and 32nd against the rush. And so while the Broncos take a lot of heat, this is an offensive line of Denver that ranks sixth in adjusted line yards and second in negative play prevention. And with the struggles of Joe Flacco, the departure of Emmanuel Sanders, the Broncos have a little bit of extra prep time for this young coaching staff to put together. I say young, they're all old guys, but young in terms of their current positions. Um, They have a very clear advantage here in able to run the football. Jawan James potentially returning on the offensive line as well. But where we're likely to see continued support for the Denver Broncos is when we're looking at a lot of the key metrics, DVOA, early down success rate, net yards per play, overall player grades, success rate overall, the Denver Broncos actually rank higher than the Indianapolis Colts in a lot of those categories. And that extends to pass blocking, pass rushing. It's amazing how when you really chart this game out, a lot of the support for the Denver Broncos is going to come from just a pure number standpoint. Indianapolis, minus 0.9 net yards per play on the season. That's 28th. So it gets really interesting. We see a lot of these key numbers showing a ton of support for the Broncos, and they're catching six. This is a case where a lot of the numbers say Denver, but all of the recreational narrative that people love to buy into says the Colts. And this is a huge bump in price point. Uh, I think you have to look Denver here with the six. So now we've got the Cleveland Browns against the New England Patriots. And I I mentioned it earlier, we've had a big reaction to New England's win against the Jets for the numbers on this. They were initially minus 10.5. They're now minus 13. It did touch minus 13.5. You obviously have to think a lot of that's based on the defence. And the over-under has dropped slightly from 46 to 45.5. So... We're used to all the big talk about Brady, but the defense, as I said, has been so good for New England this season. Their opponents were billed as Super Bowl contenders before it started. Some disappointing performance. I think we've said before on the podcast a difficult schedule as well, but the Cleveland Browns have dropped to two and four. Um, They have had a chance to rest and regroup, but how on earth do you get through that defense while still stopping them on offense? Well, Ben, let's put this move in perspective, right? You said it opened at 10, went to 13 and a half. We saw a similar size move in the Chicago Bears game. And if we're just comparing sort of market movement, it took a lot, like an all-time poor for performance for the Bears 
against a really good Saints team to draw that sort of type of reaction within the market. We obviously saw the Patriots dominate a very poor Jets team on Monday Night Football, but the Cleveland Browns are coming off of a bye, right? And that's not a support for Cleveland, but that's saying that, simply put, the Cleveland Browns did not play last week. So this movement is entirely based on what the market saw on Monday Night Football. There's no other explanation for that quick adjustment uh, because we don't really have any new information that we have to react to aside from that. So very clearly, this is a three and a half point snap reaction to the Patriots shutting out the Jets 33 to nothing, a game which we talked about earlier. They gained less than 4.5 yards per play, which is a situation where you're only going to win about 10% of the games you play in the NFL. So that gets really interesting when we talk about how much this price has moved. And I'll admit, initially, I was on the New England Patriots. I took 12 and a half. I was pretty happy with it. Um, right when it was widely available and the limits went up a little bit, I was able to take the Patriots. Ended up buying back on that position, Cleveland plus 13. Uh, I made a bit of a mistake. And so I'll explain the handicap here and explain what I ended up doing. So my really driving point behind the wager was like we just talked about how the New England defense sets up against the Cleveland Browns offense, specifically Baker Mayfield. When we look at this Patriots team, they can play man coverage outside, which allows them to get really creative with how they bring pressure in the defensive front. And they don't necessarily need to send more than one guy in order to generate that pressure. So they can do a lot with four and they can do a ton with just five guys rushing the opposing passer under pressure this season. Baker Mayfield has a passer rating of 24.1, which is the worst in the NFL. But when we look at how much worse, the next lowest passer rating above that 24.1 is 38.3 with Mitchell Trubisky. And so if we look at some of the games that the Cleveland Browns have played, um, whether it be the Rams, the 49ers, the Jets, even the Titans, beyond just the pressure, Baker Mayfield has had a ton of issues reading opposing defenses and we see that in his time to throw from snap to release which is 2.9 seconds the fourth slowest in the league but he gets lost in the pocket a lot of indecision a lot of forced throws to deep roots within this offensive system um, overall his completion percentage compared to adjustment last in the nfl at six percent below expectation so a patriots defense that can do really really anything they want to force an opposing quarterback to struggle, the way they disguise their coverage, blitzes, force quarterbacks to make really smart reads. It's not what we're going to see from Baker Mayfield. But where I've sort of hesitated is I don't necessarily want to back an enormous point spread like this solely based off defensive performance alone because defense week to week, not necessarily or nearly as comparable and predictive as we see from, from offense. But obviously that's an enormous point spread and I kept highlighting within my notes going back that this Patriots offense has struggled. And we've seen it a number of times this year. But because their defense is performing at such a high level week to week, it's really disguising a lot of issues within this offense. And where I get a little bit of concern and really what ultimately made me pull the trigger is while I don't have a lot of faith that Todd Munkin and Freddie Kitchens for the Cleveland Browns can put together an ideal game plan, and that I, what we'll see is likely maybe for the second time this season, they're forced into a game plan. If we think back to Baltimore, just the style of defense that the Ravens played really forced the Browns to use a lot of two tight end sets. And when you have two tight end sets, it provides a lot more 
um, stability within the pocket, protection for the quarterback, but it also isolates the receivers. The Browns have two very good ones in Landry and OBJ. They can run very good routes and get open. Against this New England Patriots defense we just talked about can bring a lot of pressure. The Browns potentially are going to be forced into playing with a lot of two tight end sets to protect Baker Mayfield in the pocket. And if they're forced into doing that, whether it was game planned or not, the Browns are automatically going to have more success throwing the football than they would if they were sort of able to do their spread 11 personnel, which we've seen a lot this season. So whether this is something that Munkin and Kitchens game plan for over the extended rest off of the bye, or it's something that they're forced into, I think sort of without trying to do anything, the Browns get forced into an ideal game plan here from the Patriots, just based on how this defensive aligns with the offense and the Browns likely have a bit more success than anticipated moving the football. So all of a sudden, considering all of this and looking at the number, it's an enormous point spread at 13. Obviously, it's not necessarily one you want to be laying when you're just looking at defensive performance. And I think when all things considered, if the Browns were able to put up 17 points in this game, which I think that they can do, uh, 30 points becomes a much different proposition for this Patriots offense, which has shown some struggles. So ended up buying out of this game. That's a long explanation for a game where I have no wager on, but hopefully it puts some perspective of why this point spread probably set at the right number. All helps, Adam. The uh, one, one question I was going to ask is if we're seeing these big reactions like the one we've seen this week that's purely based on the, the Patriots' performance, is there correlation with that within kind of the futures and the outrights markets, or is that is that not not kind of inferring those numbers the margins really don't necessarily make it so that has to be the case but we are seeing the patriots futures price shorten week after week so far this season they're down to uh last i looked i think it was right around three to one four to one if i'm not mistaken um so that's an enormous an enormous difference of price from where we saw them before the season but it, it certainly applies through those markets as well so now we've got the Green Bay Packers at the Kansas City Chiefs. And obviously the, the Patrick Mahomes news had a big impact on the openers for this game. It was listed at Green Bay minus three. There's been enough action to nudge them to minus three and a half. The over-under has dropped a touch from 48 to 47 and a half. So I feel like there's so much going on here. The Packers have a solid record. We've kind of spoken about it before, but there's some worrying underlying performances in there, especially for someone who might have a, a Packers Super Bowl ticket. But... They blasted through the Raiders last week and <laughs> they did get through the Raiders and now they play the Chiefs who they've got to play with Matt Moore at quarterback. So the events last week certainly make this a different game. Are the numbers right for it though, do you think? Well, I came out last Friday morning. So at this time as we're recording and really everyone was in a bit of a stir about the Patrick Mahomes injury. Uh, no one was really talking about his price point. And I said he was worth anywhere between 30 and 35% which would take a pick em to a plus eight and a half. Considering the numbers that we crossed at the time, this was anticipated Kansas City minus four. Uh, opening price, as we talked about on Monday, I say Green Bay minus three, which is where it ultimately opens. So I think that adjustment is correct. But this is a good example of how you really have to know your sources when you're looking at information. What I mean by that is we did not hear anything from the Kansas City Chiefs until Wednesday morning at practice when they said that Mahomes is on the practice field. So between Thursday, where they said, we're going to evaluate it, we're going to see, and they announced the procedure that they did, there was no official statement on how long Mahomes would be out. And there still isn't, 
because he's anticipated to potentially play. He's on the practice field. He's getting reps. So there are a lot of Twitter doctors out there that are, that's now become a thing, which is still hard for me to understand. But all of these sort of reaction that everyone was having to the injury was not coming from the team itself. It was all coming from doctors on Twitter or people that put doctor in their bio on Twitter. And so it's interesting to see how everyone just sort of conceded the idea that this was going to be a long-term injury. And it's really a situation with a high-profile player like this that I haven't seen from bookmakers in quite a while because you look just further up the board this weekend, you're seeing the Saints, that price was held off the board until Wednesday with the anticipation that Drew Brees could potentially play. We look at Matt Ryan against Seattle. That price still isn't widely available across the board. We didn't talk about it in this podcast because there's no price. We're already at Friday. So in a situation where Mahomes went out on Thursday night, this price was widely available Monday morning. And so all of this really comes from something that didn't come from the team. So it's an interesting case of where not necessarily the right sources that a lot of people want to be looking at went and reacted and posted the number on this game. Bookmakers and traders did a great job at putting this number where it is. I think it's the right reaction. I still would think it's quite miraculous for Mahomes to play, but he's been taking second team reps on the practice field this entire week. So very interesting from that perspective. If you're handicapping this game, uh, it all comes down to two very specific weaknesses on defense for both of these teams. Very good secondaries on both of these teams, but the 31st and 32nd ranked rush defenses on either side of the football. The Packers continue to play dime coverage almost, well, they play it at the highest rate in the NFL, but um, they're playing it almost relentlessly against opponents in clear running situations, and they're giving up a ton of yards because of it, allowing 61% of opposing rushes to grade successfully. You think about that from a handicapping perspective for the Chiefs. If they have Matt Moore in the pocket and not Patrick Mahomes, very likely we see a bit of a different game plan from a team that passes at a high rate. Maybe they dial that back down just a little bit and find some success rushing the football against this Packers defense that has allowed every team so far this season to find success doing so. If we look at the other side of the football, um, obviously a difficult game overall for the Packers going on the road. This is a team that, despite my future's really interest in them, as you mentioned at the start of this, um, they've been putting together some very questionable defensive performances. And I think we have to go back four or five weeks um, really to where we're saying, is this team better with a top 10 offense and an average defense or a top 10 defense and an average offense? And everyone sort of answered the offensive side of that, ran a poll online to get those answers. Um, and now we're really seeing that come come to come to light. And there seems to be a bit of reluctance um, overall with this Packers team. But some of the numbers that they're putting out, even against the Raiders, they allowed 10.9 yards per pass. And we talked about um, earlier in the podcast, a, a number from the Patriots that's not going to win you a lot of games. That 10.9 should win you games nine out of 10 times. So interested to see that the Packers come away with a three touchdown victory on Sunday. Everyone's talking about Rodgers and his best passer rating, but there were a lot of issues within that game against the Raiders offense. So I think Kansas City potentially has some success moving the football. Packers are going to have to find success on the ground running the football because this is a difficult challenge against this Kansas City Chiefs secondary, as good as Aaron Rodgers is. I don't think it's getting enough respect. So, I, like I said, I adjusted this one to sit right at three. That's where it opened. I think it's great from a side perspective. 
I understand why the total's coming down just a little bit because uh, both of these teams are going to have success moving the football on the ground. Right, so our last game, Miami Dolphins at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Surprise, surprise, it's another big handicap on the Dolphins. They're plus 14 for this one and the over-under is at 43. I've said it most weeks, I'll say it again. People still seem to find a reason to bet the Dolphins on the spread and that number is dropping. They got pretty close last week and they couldn't quite get an unexpected wins, but obviously covered the spread. The Steelers have the benefit of a rest week and will hope that their defence and strong turnover numbers will get them plenty of chances to put some points on the board. It is another big number, especially when you're playing against a backup quarterback in the Steelers. So is it justified, do you think? Third string quarterback, potentially, for the Steelers again. Um, Certainly justified. uh, But you have to wonder if it's a little bit too justified with this number where it is. Open 17 got bet down. The Dolphins... I, I don't think they're the worst team in the NFL. I think the Bengals are worse than the Dolphins. And just on that thought alone, I don't think we need to spend too much time talking about this big of a number. Uh, but the Dolphins had a lot of su- success throwing the football against the Buffalo Bills secondary. We said that was sort of downgraded a little bit, but this is a Steelers secondary that doesn't rank too much better. And it's a Steelers running defense that doesn't rank too much better either. So I think that the Dolphins have some success moving the football offensively. And when you're getting an extra 14 points on top of that, uh, that becomes a very tall task for the Steelers to cover, which really haven't shown any sign of life on offense of a team that we expected them to be going into the season, going on about four or five weeks now. So as you mentioned, quarterback situation still questionable for Pittsburgh. Um, I think this is a spot where you're looking Dolphins or nothing. And I don't want to say that the Dolphins are potentially live to pull off an upset. I don't think it's there yet. But at 14 still, if you're getting better than that or a favorable price at 14, I think you're looking to the Dolphins here pretty well um, regardless. It's very difficult to make a case for the Steelers. Well, that's all our games for the week done. Some great matchups to look forward to. And before you know it, Adam, will be doing it all again. I'm looking forward to Sunday evening talking those look-ahead lines in the initial opener. We'll look forward to the matches, then we can look forward to the podcast. There we go. Thanks to everyone for listening. All the odds we discussed today are available on Pinnacle.com. I hope you enjoy the weekend's action, and remember to please gamble responsibly. 